0: Hello, this is the final episode of our podcast series Gaining Ground, hosted by our curator in residence, Annie Yale-Kwan. Annie sits down with artists from our current exhibition, Future Ages Will Wonder, to chat about the themes of the show and the artworks on display. In this episode, Annie spoke to artists Larry Achimpong and David Blandy, who were joined by Professor Larry Barham of the Department of Archaeology, Classics and Egyptology at the University of Liverpool. Gaining Ground and Future Ages Will Wonder are supported by Arts Formation. To find out more about the series, the exhibition, or us, visit our website, fact.co.uk.
1: Hello, my name is Annie Yalquan. I'm curator in residence at Fact and also the curator of the exhibition Future Ages Will Wonder, currently showing at Fact till the 20th of February. The project explores the advancements of science and technology in relation to our conceptions of ourselves and our histories. I'm very pleased today to welcome artists Larry Achampong and David Blandy, whose new moving image work is a special fact commission and has premiered as part of Future Ages Will Wonder. Joining us today is also Professor Larry Barham from the Department of Archaeology, Classics and Egyptology at the University of Liverpool Hello, guys. It's so nice to see you all. And thank you for making time. And first of all, like Larry and David, it's been such an incredible journey, uh, getting to know you both. And just thank you so much for making this work, which is just stunning. Um, And sharing it with the exhibition. It is such a rich audiovisual journey, you know, and at the same time, it's uh, a really profound provocation, I think, and it interrogates you know, these embedded structures of knowledge, and maybe we could start there, um, you know, if you could talk about how, from that time that we met when you were working on uh, Radical Ancestries uh, um, Critical Inquiry project uh, at Arts Catalyst, um, since then, how did that, um, I suppose, the kernel of that idea evolve, and how do you develop the idea and concept for this project?
0: I think that's a you know, first of all, thank you very much, uh Annie. Just also in terms of you know, right back at you working with you o- over the years across platforms, across projects has been amazing. And it's yeah, it's quite exciting even at this kind of uh point in time and uncertain future with um you know the pandemic that we've we've still managed to you know hold the tightness of of, of what we're doing. So um yeah, you know, going going back to you know your question, um it's quite incredible, really, because I guess, yeah, David and I, we've, we've created a, a few works that, that connect with one another um, across this project, which is under the umbrella of a Genetic Automata, which um, is exploring um, the relationship between um, ideas around history, uh, archaeology, uh, DNA, um, social media. Um, cultural politics, and, 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 and back again. Um, at the moment, that's separated with, with, with three different films that have, you know, that focus on, on, on particular conversations. Um, the first being a film called uh, A Terrible Fiction, um, which looks at... Um, which actually kind of, like, uses mine and David's kind of physical bodies, actually, visually speaking. We kind of, like, filmed one another with... Um, uh, particular types of, of, of uh, macro filming technology, um, whilst also, um, exploring conversations regarding, uh, evolution, um, that then went on to, uh, a film which we, uh, created I think, it a year ago now, it, it's weird, I, I think it's a year ago, right, um, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the film. We've made too many, <laughs> we've made so many. Um, Lament for Power. Lament then. for Power, yes, which uh, looks at um, the relationship of, um, of racism within uh, science and from a medical perspective, uh, that of, of, of agency. So the focus is actually around uh, that of uh, Henrietta Lacks. And uh the, the the cells within her body u- being used um against hers and her family's wishes are actually without their knowledge, which I think is even worse to be honest with you. Um and and how and how those those advancements, whilst um you know, although there 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 that there, there are positive things to, to take from the, the fact that her cells have um, they they revolutionize a range of like medicines over the years and so on there's still that aspect of, of agency and, and um, in, in, in a respect the the stealing of one's uh, agency or one's uh, story as it were so that brings us to uh, from dust to data uh, the, the the film that we've you know created for the, the commission with fact with um, which kind of brings together a range of I guess a range of, um, those kind of, uh, you know, bubbling conversations within the other backgrounds. So, um, the, the, the film culminates a range of, uh, of, of motifs, um, factoring around that of, um, the, the, the archive, the, the relationship with, um, that of the, the, the Western constructs of the archive and history and, and, and who, who gets to, um, you know, kind of, I guess, like, explain or label things within, within history. And um, at the same time, that's kind of centred around a, a, a conversation uh, that was had many years ago uh, between uh, uh, William uh, Du Bois, um, author of the book Race, uh, Regarding Race in Society, called The Souls of Black Folk, um, and then that of um, what is known as, like, a pioneer of... Uh, 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 modern archaeology uh, William Petrie who had quite problematic kind of like ideas uh, with with regards to to race and even kind of it, it centering within within archaeology um, but I, I would say what what was quite even more special about the the film that we we created actually was the uh the, the relationship that we 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 managed to build and with the help of 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 fact um we were connected with uh dr larry Bar- barham who is um whom is, uh a, a, an expert within within the field of archaeology himself and across this again this this time of you know like lockdowns and um and and everybody having to be inside. Uh, Myself, David and Larry had an amazing um, set of conversations around the ideas of the work, um, what we wanted to produce, how we could perhaps have, you know, Larry Larry involved in the film. And, um, you know, sometimes it can be, it it can be a bit like nerve wracking, working with, you know, uh, experts within a particular field as an artist that you want to kind of explore. But what was just awesome about that was, there was definitely a, a, a welcoming energy from from larry which just made our conversations run so much more smooth and 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 that general i, I would hope to say uh, interest from from all sides um regarding the different projects that we were working on really so you know that 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 culminates in a film that also even in in um uh, uh larry's uh talents vocally speaking um as as well as some uh, special 3d scans which uh he, he he allowed us to 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 use uh, by permission um yeah david i don't know if there's anything you want to kind of like add on there i've gone on for a bit
2: <laughs> oh not at all larry it's, <laughs> it's really good to to hear, hear your your kind of interpretation of it all and it's um yeah it's been it's been quite a journey um i guess i guess in some ways it started with um with John Edmonstone and, and, and Darwin, and now has come through to, to Petrie and, and Du Bois, or Du Bois, or Du Bois, Du Bois. And, um, yeah, I, I think, as you say, I think it's, it's the conversation with, with Larry that's really, really made this one um, a special special film (laughs) um and i think yeah it's been that that combination of both research but also um i guess interpersonal kind of understandings because you know these things these things aren't simple and it's 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 important to to try and try to understand things in a kind of much more holistic way
1: yeah i think something that really strikes me is how i suppose you bring the intersection between like the interpersonal and the personal to something that is more uh, political and you're looking then at also like um, epistemology, really the the knowledge of knowledge, right? Um, And it takes me back to when I first encountered you during the radical ancestry process where you were doing, um, I think it was called, uh, trust me, I'm an artist or, you know, and and you were doing this DNA testing and and so really testing in yourselves and sending off those uh, kits for those sort of self-testing. Uh, which we then had this wonderful conversation about, because uh, that had become so popular at, as an industry where people were seeking to find out who they really really were, as it were you know digging back into the cellular notion of origin. Uh, but also then as we unfolded in a conversation we realized that part of that is also trying to discover uh where you belong where where is your community where is your lineage when so many uh communities have experienced um kind of ruptures in their genealogy for various reasons right so i find it really interesting that you know you that that was the, one of the one of the points of investigation and as of course then in your work you know you've always had this friendship you know that you also showed us when you we did that talk uh, at Genetic Automata where you were playing computer games in front of a bemused audience who was like hang on these guys are playing Street Fighter what's going on Um, and then you know you you kind of like showed us how in a way you collaborate even when you're not in the same place because you can Uh, play together and have these conversations and that comes through in the work that you do Um, I mean a very good example is of course the Finding Fanon trilogy where you're using the game play um, machination to actually make the work and then you use those characters um, from I think it's Grand Theft Auto, right Um, and then you place them in the landscape and then their interactions um, you know and you kind of experiment with that platform um, to show how it could be a different kind of narrative, right. So I find it really interesting, of course, you're you're using your personal politics in your relationship as ways also to navigate through, uh, you know, this kind of historical investigation. So I think that's really interesting because you have this close working relationship There, I, I always feel so privileged to um, you know coming like get to know you guys and hang out with you guys and talk to you because I can really feel the warmth of that relationship and so uh, in a way I'm also very curious now that you have uh, invited uh, well actually you've been connected with uh, Professor Barham and you've had these conversations how did that unfold and I suppose in if you could let our audience know a little bit more about how you actually worked with the department that would be really intriguing.
2: yeah i mean it started with as as all all good things do with conversation we just started talking and asking questions asking questions about um origins of of um i guess homo sapiens of humanity but then thinking beyond that and, you know how that actually and i think this is something that larry is very good at is explaining how slippery our notions of what what homo sapiens is and where kind of these, these kind of strict demarcations of this is human, this is not human just become kind of pretty hazy over over millennia so um and i think I think that was you know once once we'd had that initial contact, you know we knew that there was something really special about about this conversation we were having in it and how and in the context of the all the work that we've been making up to that point, it felt like a you know real evolution of, of what was happening. Um, I am practically speaking, the thing of of actually getting access to the, the scans, the scans of, of various incredible hominid skulls. Um yeah, that kind of added a whole different dimension to the work. Um I I think it grounded it in a sort of, you know virtual reality i guess um and and also yeah of course the the objects because i think i think one of my favorite um descriptions that, that larry gave us was was of the construction of some of these tools of these these sort of axe blades basically um where it was so reliant on kind of one particular perfect cut at a certain point. You know, it, it, the fact that these ones exist show that kind of thousands exist that, that didn't get to that point because it is. So it, it kind of shows a whole culture in this one object. But I think, yeah, this is where I bring Larry in to talk, maybe. Uh,
1: yes, <laughs> Professor Brown, can you please tell us a bit more about your work uh, as a researcher in... Your department, but and and the work that you've been doing, and how did you? I suppose how do you engage with something that is from a kind of artistic field, and like what was that process like for you?
3: I am um, my title is professor of African archaeology, and I work in Zambia, so South Central Africa, and I've worked a little bit in Ghana. Um, and my interests are really in human evolution and the development of human of, of, of our mind um, and looking at stone tools and material remains as, a, as the way into how ancestors and early ancestors thought and what was involved in learning to make these things. Um, and I'm pleased to hear I'm good at slippery concepts because that's <laughs> I think archaeology is archaeology can be very slippery, and that's something um, I tried to get across to students. I had an email from FACT saying uh, a couple of artists are interested in, in in finding contacts to and help them deal with uh, this this concept of radical ancestry. So I thought, okay. I looked at the radical ancestry. So, and there was some. You, you, you two had done your done your research, and you had some big names you wanted to talk to. And I thought, okay, um, um, uh, maybe I can help you get in contact with them. But first, let's talk. And that's how this this evolved into just um, sort of free flowing discussions. And uh, in the end, none of none of those big names on your list were approached, as far as I know. Uh, <laughs> and I ended up being there and and doing voiceover, which I wasn't expecting. That was a bonus. So, um, how did I feel when working with artists? I, I relished this opportunity to to talk to people who have a a, a, a creative perspective, um, and in this case, a creative perspective on the past and how we interpret the past. So it wasn't it wasn't something I was. Sh- shy of doing, I thought this is a great opportunity, because um, this is not something academics, well, especially within archaeology, get many opportunities to do, because we work within the constraints of how we think about the past and describe it to our to our colleagues. So for, for you two coming in from the outside, that was, that was a chance for me just to open my mind and say things I was, I've been thinking for a long time and perhaps things I shouldn't have said, I don't know. Um, but that's just that was just fun um and then if we say the 3d, 3D element came in and you know, i have artifacts here on my table and at work and colleagues who are happy to help um yeah and there we are um you, you see in in the video itself the, um, the cast of the skulls but also a particular stone tool um and we just occurred to me, I didn't tell you about that tool, did I? It's, you know, it has this label hand axe, so we're talking about labeling and how they constrain that thinking. But that particular hand axe, I excavated um, with colleagues from um, in, um, the Livingston Museum in Zambia from a locality which had the name Messenger Compound. Uh, so I asked my colleagues, what was this? They said, oh, this is where the... Co- the messengers, the colonial, you know, the colonial administration had the messengers sending, you know, they were runners carrying information across what was then Northern Rhodesia. I thought, this is, this is wild. This is weird. A messenger compound. And I said, well, can we give a different name to this place? No, keep it Messenger compound. Let's recognise the reality of that place on the ground. So we we were excavating then this four hundred thousand year old artifact, on a place which used to be, basically a. Um, a building where the colonial administrators used local people to carry their, their messages. Wow, okay. I didn't tell you this that you could have picked much much more interesting looking artifacts from the ones we offered you, but you chose that one. I't I that was that was great. Uh,
1: what I think the other thing that I really want to pick up on that you've all used this term slippery. And you know, I just think that's really intriguing because um, in the film, there are many uh, historical and scientific references. And one of them that was raised was the name of Linnaeus, right? Carl Linnaeus, the Swedish botanist, zoologist, taxonomist and physician. Um, And in the film, you do question and critique like this use of categorization, which has been embedded in the way our knowledge has been built up over the years. So I think, can you explain a little bit more about why that's troubling and in a way why that is actually not accurate if slipperiness does actually exist uh, and permeate through these categories?
0: yeah so and I think obviously one has to consider the 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 two previous films within the series as well you know limit for power and then a terrible fiction um the reason and and, and the problem with um a lot of the, the 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 terminologies that are created within um with with reference to you know uh, the archive archaeology science especially um is particularly within a lot of the grounding within uh you know European concepts which then also have a relationship with scientific racism for example um and that to be honest was one of the really like amazing conversations that that we were able to have with 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 Larry that i i really enjoyed like because again obviously like david and i were artists so we have interests within some of these fields we're not experts, but we, we we build ideas based on the research. I think one of the things that um was quite alarming to us was how um racism continues to this day to uh you know dictate a lot of like approaches, words, meanings and so on to uh certain aspects of of, of ourselves, you know, like even just taking uh, and and, and pointing reference at the um the whole situation of like DNA tracing and heritage and and so on for example you know when David and I did that um I I I I, I just had a feeling that I wouldn't get as much kind of like complex information about my uh heritage although uh across the 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 African continent it's known that the DNA within individuals across there's far more kind of like complicated than that of you know those within within europe with it for example yeah of course in terms of the findings um my the the uh, results that i got were were, were pretty kind of like basically it's like i was like about i think like 98 or so percent from like yoruba land whereas david had so many going across various points of you know the uk and then reaching into in, 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 into europe so it's really about you know the uh, the 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 playing field or lack thereof of levelness within the the playing field of 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 conversations around all of these types of um, of, of of realities, and essentially that's what you know the, the 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 project in in general is trying to kind of like pick at really, and the fact that that really still exists even uh, today. Um, you know, one of the things that we were quite interested in, and I think, you know, we're, we're still interested in kind of like pursuing as, as, as the project evolves, because I, I wouldn't say it's finished, there's still more to kind of, you know, uh, uncover is, you know, there's in some way somehow there's definitely a relationship between that and the way that um, um, uh, racism through nationalism for example, has kind of like, you know, reared its ugly head in recent years which have been related to that of the uh, the, uh the, the the premiership of trump for example via that of brexit and so on so um you know we wanted to perhaps try and reach as as deeply into history as possible in order to create that connection with that and that understanding that you know so many of these problematic concepts reach historically and that it's not it's not entirely new. It's actually been here for a while. And how do we uncover, do, do we do we take that apart We take that apart by going back in order to make an understanding of of, of the present?
3: David had mentioned the slipperiness in relation to Homo sapiens. And that that's what I, I remember that conversation because I, I was saying that we have this term Homo sapiens, which is a loaded term in its own right. Wise man, you know take what you want from that. Um, and we think there's a clear boundary around this. Um, and there isn't. We have evolved, we're constantly changing. There isn't, it's really difficult. Archaeologists, particularly those who study human fossils, struggle to put boundaries on when Homo sapien begins. And, um, and if it's a continuum, yeah, justify that boundary. What we were talking about then there were there lots of different other kinds of humans that coexisted in Africa with with homo sapiens um, and so for me it's it, we can't attribute one particular behavior to one particular group because we don't know and um, so we need to sort of uh, embrace the messiness um, and I, I in, in a sense it's, it, it's kind of what we're trying you know, in our current lives we're embracing the the messiness, which is the, the variation of the way people live and kinds of lives and, and, and ways of choosing of living. And I'm saying in the past, then there are these these multiple ways of living. And we see them through bones and through stones. Um, and the old idea of a linear evolution or progression is one that, uh, well, certainly in, in, in my field is one that's deep deep bad history we don't we don't think that way anymore so that's this is another opportunity for perhaps reaching out you know outside the academic audience to a wider world where people are not quite so aware of of um how the science has helped us appreciate this this diversity in the past
2: and we can use it to think about the diversity now and I, i think that's the the problematic point at which we, we find ourselves is that there's still very much a, a strong mythology of this kind of linearity of progression and that you know the human the human uh, humankind is progressing towards a kind of some sort of um future point i mean you know, it's, it's embedded in in christian theology but it's also the inside the um kind of yeah and that's that's why we we kind of bring brought Linnaeus into it because he's kind of there at the bedrock saying here are the separations and not only are here are the separations but these people are inferior because they are different and and so if that is at the basis of a taxonomy then you know it's almost embedded in that very structure in that system and we're still locked in that structure whether we whether we like it or not, we can kind of say, oh, it's slippery and, you know, everyone's kind of actually related to each other. And, you know, there's only so, so many points of separation, but this is the language we're using. And then that same language is used for nationality, for borders, for kind of separating peoples in terms, of, you know, the haves, the have nots. And, and there's a, you know, there's a whole kind of bedrock of pra- proto kind of eugenic thinking that, that is, is embedded in our political systems. Um, you know you, you even have to think about the pandemic and the idea of you know on um, these, these sort of um, pre-existing conditions that there's been used as you know well those lives mean less because they're in this box of pre-existing conditions no matter that the pre-existing condition has been caused by a previous infection of COVID like it's, it's just um, yeah it's all kind of wrapped up in one thing and I think that's you know, that's why we wanted to really pinpoint that. And I think, you know, part of the sort of the undertow of this particular project of a genetic automata is, is really a kind of a dissection of that kind of idea of pure objectivity, that, that there can be a thing that's outside of, um, outside of an authored intent. there's always some sort of authored intent in any type of knowledge i think
0: i think just to add on top of what david said you know like where we rest on the the current moment with technology i mean that that explains it more than anything really like like brings brings us to that point you know i think it's fair to say that you know there are some people who believe that technology will create a level kind of like playing field for for people culturally speaking racially and so on but if anything like the that the, the the complications and the and, and the problematics and whatnot they have just exploded even further you know if you even look at things like you know facial recognition to certain technologies that work better on you know white skin than they do on black skin again there's a historical connection to that and that 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 brings us to this point so um you know the the this series of works you know let alone thus today i would say you know they're, they're 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 you know very much in essence as to how david and i work anyway they're time travel films you know really thinking about what the, the the present moment in time means with reference uh to the past because you can't separate the two yeah i think a very kind of western thing that usually is done is like the past is just oh, forget about that. It doesn't matter anymore. It actually really matters more than than one might even care to imagine. So, yeah.
1: Yes, and in some way, I suppose in popular media, uh, history or the investigation of history can be very romanticized as well, right? Because when I first read your department, I was like, oh, Egyptology, you know? And of course it brings to mind, you know, that Indiana Jones character who like finds something and that material object then becomes like, the clue or even the answer to like something mysterious and that it becomes a point of origin Right. And I think there is a sort of romanticization that if we dig deep enough in history, we'll find the ultimate truth, you know, uh, which, of course, I think is, you know, where we're we're starting to question how those narratives are being written and how they can be rewritten as well. Um, so I think that is something that's really thought provoking in the project. And that's, you know, makes us think about how knowledge is created, uh, where funding uh, comes from, where attention is pointed to, you know. And also, when you raised earlier about how you know it really links up to our contemporary times, it makes me also think about how you know even the word as innocuous as home you know can be so loaded because now there are all sorts of definitions around what is home, right? And uh, what is this categorization of home uh, for those settled in the UK, and that's slowly shifting the languages written around it for home students, slowly is being redefined after Brexit as well. And so suddenly for myself, I find myself like being shifted in that category. And that becomes really important when you sort of think of like access to funding. And then of course, then, you know, and graver uh, implications for, you know, those, for for example, from the Windrush generation, you know, so why is it something that uh, I suppose why are certain relationships and uh, historical relations, you know, then become rewritten in this way, be suddenly cut off just because another categorization has been imposed on it, you know. Um, so I think that, you know, coming from, I guess thinking about this project makes us question at what time uh, who has the power to create um, these new redefinitions uh, that in a way then you know becomes prejudicial to certain groups of people.
3: The underlying theme here is is, is categorization of of objects, of people, of places, of time. And we're all very aware that when you label something, you you exclude other things as being part of that. Um, And it's, in in my teaching, um, it's something I try to get students to think about. So why, why is this considered this tool a scraper? why is that a knife? We don't know. Um, and it's just because there's a shape. And who's defined that shape? Well, it, historically, probably a, a male archaeologist who's used to making stone tools and using stone tools. And in fact, that Indiana Jones image is a powerful one, because for a long time, um, our students thought everybody who made, who made objects, stone objects, they were, they were male. And a lot of the uh, experimental archaeologists that I, I grew up with watching, they were all male. Um, and they had kind of this macho attitude around breaking rocks. <laughs> well, breaking rocks is, it, anybody can do it. And in the past, all our ancestors had to do it because it was a fundamental thing to live by. So these categories are really um, important. So you have to think about who's created them and why and what we do with them and what constraints there are. Um, and from my little world, it bothers me when I see a, an early period of the past being effectively denigrated because they seem to have a smaller range of tools than a later period that might be associated with Homo sapiens. So therefore, these early periods and these early people were somehow less intelligent. They lived a static life. Um, and as I work in Zambia, which is where I have been for some years now, and I'm finding these very early tools, four or 500,000 years ago, ago, ago that's a lot more variety. And when I show them to people, I say, well, it's got this one label. And you know there are about 12 different forms under that one label. We are missing what those people could do and what they involve in terms of cognitive complexity because we have this set belief that they were, Unable to do these things that we could do, um, and it's um, it's it's restricting on how we see the past. And you know, what we're talking about here is how those restrictions carry on in, into the present.
1: I mean, I suppose I'm also interested. You know, I guess when you've been speaking about how uh, the field has evolved over the years, um, you know, and you and I was wondering how much race comes into that as well. You know, I think race has become a really central concern in both Larry and David's uh, collaboration. And race, of course, is a really hot topic in the last few years as well, with the resurgence of Black Lives Matter and the uh, racism against Asian people in the last couple of years after the coronavirus. And I wonder whether like, does that kind of the colonial work uh, with regards to race, is that also happening within that field?
3: When I started studying archaeology as part of anthropology in the 1970s, um, we were told, when we were taught then, that race didn't actually exist as a biological concept, just to get rid of it. And that's, I still carry that with me. And and I think now not in terms of race, but I think of of local populations, local networks of people, people who marry each other, families that grow up together. So the differences come over time, not because of a difference in race, but differences in, in local histories. and. I carry on that. I guess what I was taught, I carry that, that kind of enlightened view, which as I see it, I carry that into my teaching now. Um, and I, I begin my, I teach a course on African prehistory from, it sounds crazy in terms of a time range, but it, it, the course starts 500,000 years ago and it goes up to about 2000 years ago. The students come and say there's no way we can cover that amount of time said yeah just, just sit back think about what we're about to see and 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 you know question this and I say because they learned about the different of hominins so I say right there's no there no we're not talking races here we're just talking about different populations at different times and they interact they're interbreeding and all that. Stuff. they're having sex you know, you know these aren't separated groups um and the, one of the the reasons I'm doing this that one of the drivers is that as a student, I overheard a professor who um, taught human evolution saying to another colleague that uh, "Oh, once we go beyond a certain time period in the African record so it's very early on with these early hominins, the rest of it's uninteresting because Africans have always lived in mud huts oh what oh because that's that's a uh, a mindset which I thought had long since passed. And if you look at some of the Enlightenment philosophers from the um, some name, for example, the name Hegel, um, you'll find in his writings, and this is a paraphrase the phrase of his writing, that Africa had no place in modern history. It's always been static and Africans, as you see them now, have always been that way. And they, haven't, they have no likelihood to progress. Um, that was shocking when I read it and I give it to my students now and I just say, right Kate, have you heard any views like this? And they said, yeah, we do, we do hear this still. And I think that's, that's 200 years ago. You know, anthropology is a field, archeology field. We, we feel like we've got rid of this, but there's a wider world where this is still alive and even perhaps more embedded than we, we thought and hoped and feared.
1: Yeah, I actually remember reading an article, I think this was in the 90s, there was a, um, this article was talking about how, uh, I think it was published in a Time magazine, I think, Um, and it was talking about how they were doing a census for various people to identify themselves according to different races, but when, you know, when it actually was unfolding, someone would suddenly realize like, oh, actually, I don't think I'm in that category. And it would just switch category. And so it became like this exercise that was actually quite arbitrary where people were uh, either misidentified or misidentified themselves or then changed their minds and changed category. You know, And I think at the root of the article was actually saying exactly that, that there is no actual um, objective biological marker to define race, but it became an administrative As exercise you know and I think then it makes me think of course of how uh, because of empire you know Britain had really far reaches in terms of administration you know and that we're still living in the kind of like legacy of that right because it's kind of connected to all these different sites and therefore had opened up those channels for the flow of people both ways but right now you know we're still also tussling with administration even in the arts well we have these categories of like bame you know and you're supposed <laughs> to situate yourself there despite you know other specificities so i you know i think that's really fascinating in in a way that administration seems to also take over in creating these uh, categories and demarcations and i guess I, I just kind of wanted to loop from there to um, thinking about this virtual world that you utilize in the making of the film. Um, because I suppose, in the opportunity of using VR and these um, imagined landscapes, uh, you're using existing mot- motifs, but there's an opportunity to kind of almost reimagine them as well. Um, does that give you more freedom to explore new territories, or uh, do, are we still working also like? With the same sort of uh, notions and categories, because of the way language works.
0: I guess it I guess it depends on you know the approach to language or the approach to kind of questioning what exists really, because yeah, it's true. Like you know we've in terms of you know we we, we utilize thumb real engine uh, David. I've, I've got to give credit to is the one who mostly kind of like worked behind the scenes on that it's me working more on the audible aspects of things um yeah you're working with assets that have already been created right so even you know let's imagine the designers who've created these these areas they you know one can only imagine that there's a preconceived notion of a particular type of uh, ancient African environment so for example when people think about pyramids automatically people think about Egypt but what about you know Nubia which is before Egypt for example right so um but I think what's interesting for for me and David um is is really looking at um what we what what people tend to know within the popular context text or popular culture of things establish that and then begin to break that apart or break that down there's no point simply just trying to say oh here's this other thing you just didn't see it or whatever and even almost trying to virtuous signal really because that's not what we're interested in but really look at look at the, the 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 object or the label the thing that we've been told is the standard and begin to break that down and to and and, and to question what the standard is what what that even means and how that relates to us and how how it, it might not even you know relate to us and I think really that's at the core of you know mine and David's relationship as you you know you, you rightly pointed out earlier Annie about you know our interests in in, in popular culture in video games comics and things like that um, you know for us you know for, I think you know in, in, in the world, th- th- those things are seen as, um, as, as as entertainment and whatnot. For us, they're, they're art forms. You know, this video game is no different, in our opinion, from that of, a, of, of, of an important piece of literature. They both, they contain complex, um, I, they can contain complex ideas, of course, because, you know, not all games are amazing. Some that are trash or shovelware, as, as we say in, in, in the gaming world. But um, you know, they 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 contain incredible uh deep ideas, some of them. And 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 long before David and I met each other, we we played certain games, we traveled certain landscapes. And so we in meeting one another and in in, in then talking about some of our favorite moments, we're able to kind of like relive, you know, that that with one another. Um so you know almost in a similar fashion by taking those interests by taking that of the uh, other virtual landscapes or even landscapes that exist landscapes that are familiar to people um you know we want to kind of again using gaming terminology break beyond you know those invisible walls or those confines that are set up by the designers to kind of you know stay within that matrix of 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 environment to in order to to begin to think about and question what new or other environments that have been omitted you know might might exist we don't want to necessarily create them that's for everybody to do but we really want to question that 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 of the states quote david i'm not sure if there's anything you want to add in that but um yeah
2: yeah i think i think i mean both our practices engage with uh found objects quite a lot <laughs> um thinking about things that already exist in the world and then kind of pulling them apart and analyzing them. I mean, like, like the library room in in Dust to Data, you know, that's a a room that, that was created as a, as a library by someone. And it has these incredible kind of statues of fusty old men all over it. And it kind of some, somehow that, that kind of really added something to to the work you have these these sort of emblems of sort of empire of ideas of objective knowledge and um, and you know that's just just there because it's kind of an incidental detail in in something that someone's put together as sort of indicating a library but what does that say about libraries about knowledge about all of these things you know those assumptions that are made in these these pre created things kind of they start to say something about the culture in which they're created so yeah it's 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 a it's it's a journey
1: and I was wondering Larry if you could also let us uh, share about whether uh, the as was developments in technology like lidar scanning and 3d printing and scanning uh, how has that affected your work
3: I I'm 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 new to it relatively compared with my um, colleagues and particularly my students. So I'm learning a lot from younger generation. So um actually really enjoying using three D images of artifacts. And that's now considered just old hat. Things have moved on. So I'm just catching up a little bit. But the three D images are allowing me to look at artifacts and in the in the way that I've already been looking at in terms of the sequences of making to again trying to understand the, the planning the cognition behind it but also to present it in a way that other people can see quite quite quickly almost intuitively by color coding parts that are first second thirds so that's what we're working on now um, and for this exhibition um, I had help from PhD students, um, but also had some undergraduate students and and the university has a little bit of funding for for undergraduates to let them do something um, practical, but also something they learn from. So we had students doing the laser scanning, um, structured light laser scanning of these objects um, and then putting them into a particular software. And that was then exported for, David and Larry to use. So but you know, once the project moves on um, this 3D work will be carrying on in, in our labs and students will be you know, teaching me and we'll be learning together and how to make more of this. Um, so uh, working with these two visual artists, you know, um, it's actually probably helped me think more about how as in a way, get to the essence of these objects to, to communicate more what I want others to, to learn from them so in a sense I'm using this technology to c- control the information out that's going to go out from them yeah, but that that's that's the nature of this beast, you know, we all come from different perspectives so we're all going to have different messages to send, but um, I am really pleased to be able to use some of these tools to um, make in a sense communicate to generations that's that's so visual compare to mine yeah you know, I've, I've got the fusty library behind me you can't see this people but yeah I'm almost that guy in, 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 in the video but uh, I'm, I'm alive and I'm moving and I'm willing to change my ways um, yeah so I don't know if that answered your question in some yeah. kind of elliptical way and but, I think yeah.
1: just looping back to that you know uh, that image of the library with those busts of um, male uh, I suppose proponents of knowledge right and I suppose it makes me think also of like the way we think about the word artifacts like they belong in some kind of um, uh, some kind of uh, how to say like reified category you know like they, they belong in some place where they're profound uh, holders of knowledge of secret you know holders of secret knowledge uh, and in some way I suppose that's how a lot of history has been uh, narrated, like through places like the British Museum, you think that if you go, you're going to see some sort of, uh, or you're going to experience some kind of authoritative knowledge, right, Um, and I'm, you know, and I'm, that sort of really intrigues me, because when we go back to thinking about um, the different empires, not just Britain, but how they were very active in research in different parts of the world, and then they became people that also wrote about Um, that research, and therefore you have certain narratives of knowledge that still sort of hold, uh, have a certain um, weight, you know, from that sort of project of modernization and and the beginnings of different history. Coming from an art history perspective, that always made me uh, really curious because, like, for example, um, you know, the, the space of Gandhara in India was where they um, they saw new kinds of statues that looked uh, uh, looked very different of Buddha, and the whole theory behind it was because that was where you know the different uh, Western soldiers and their technologies met, you know, Buddhism, and therefore you know enabled like these so called more sophisticated uh, images of Buddha to be made, and so then there are many many papers written about how you know, is that actually true? Is that just a colonial perspective, a reinterpretation of Buddhism and Buddhist images and so on? So it always made me realize how in some way, you know, history gets written by those in power, right? Um, so that makes me really excited that um, each of you are in a way uh, rewriting history in your own fields. And I just wondered whether you could maybe end today by letting, me, by letting the audience know, like as a rewriter of history, in your media in your field what is the most important thing for you yeah.
0: for me it's it's the it's the space for multiple uh conversations to to be able to exist really um you know that's the complex complexity of the world that's the complexity of, of, of human existence the, the moment it it kind of becomes dictated it it, it creates so many problems which then take so much time to not only realise but but to deconstruct and get to uh, uh, hopefully a better point so I think it's really it's 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 about allowing multiple <clears throat> stories and conversations to exist and to even challenge that of the uh, the, the, the status quo um, yeah that's my position
2: yeah and for me i guess it's um it's about trying to to break down these these barriers, these false kind of dichotomies um and also the barriers that are within ourselves about um kind of how we understand ourselves and our place in in society and our place in history and I think um yeah the more we understand, the more we kind of open ourselves up to to difficulty and to, um, uncertainty, the closer we'll get to actually, you know, being able to have real conversations. So that's, yeah, that's, that's my aim.
3: I think if I'm considering a legacy, because <laughs> I'm getting older now, um, I would think I want to look at the past knowing that I don't know how the past happened, but I'm open to interpreting it differently with different ideas as they become available. And I think about them and I I scrutinize them and think, okay, this moves something on. But I think the real legacy is that the generations that are coming that we are teaching to be critical, to not accept what they're told don't accept what I'm saying. Just just be aware that I'm saying. As this is, this is how I tell my students, I'm the, I'm the guy standing here telling you this is what I think is happening. You ask me then, why do I think this? When when I'm giving you something that looks like a fact, well, how do I know? Challenge constantly. Challenge, and that in turn, I challenge. They challenge me, and then I have to challenge myself, and it becomes a reciprocal thing. And I think that's 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 a healthy way to carry on into the future
1: thank you so much um, i think today has been just really thought provoking and thank you so much for sharing your time and your thoughts and energy with us um, if you have not had a chance to visit future ages will wonder please go up and see the show to see this new work by larry a. chumple and david blandy that's made in collaboration with professor larry barm the show runs to the 20th of february so there's still plenty of time to catch it